0: Okay, well, thank you for coming. We have a great uh, movie. We're like inaugurating this uh, little theater space, so maybe we'll have more matinees to come here. Just really enjoy it. And this movie, Perfect Sense, I, I don't even remember when I first saw it, but I I was very touched when I first saw it because I, I love movies that kind of naturally um, are so well designed and so so much of a masterpiece that they kind of like take your mind into the holy instant, uh, and that's for us that's a masterpiece. Anything that will take your mind toward the holy instant, toward that stillness and that light, you know, in the most rapid way possible. So, I'm not going to talk too much about the movie. How many people have seen Perfect Sense? Okay. It's like me, every time I see it, it's the first time. So I'm going to be, gonna be while. Yeah. I'll be riveted. Yeah, it's. I think it's really helpful because when you open up to spiritual awakening, I mean the metaphysics are so radical. Uh, they there's not really throughout history. There's, I mean, the ancient China had some beautiful non-dual metaphysics, and of course, India is quite famous for it with with the Vedantas and with the Vedanta and um, Japan. I mean, but the Course itself is is an amazing um, pathway, but I think it still comes down to the practical application. So that's why we need movies like this that take us into the experience because there's pretty much defense and layered um, theologies uh including you know even genesis you know in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth and it doesn't really uh go into projection at that at that origin point you know that god created the heavens and the ego projected the, the earth and the cosmos but this those things are helpful because this kind of movie really takes you beyond the five senses and I always say the five senses were made in cahoots with the ego, so everything that the five senses show is part of a defense against God. You know, it's like Jesus says in the workbook. You know, that, that the, this is a place where God could enter, not. Uh, it was made to block God out, and so this movie is going to use the five senses in a way to take us beyond the five senses and. And that's really what all true spirituality is about: is using time to take you beyond time, using the five senses to take you beyond the five senses, using all the the symbols and metaphors of time and space to take you beyond them and And this is just taking a premise which uh, can seem like like some type of um, of disease or virus or something that's uh, along those lines, and then taking that premise into uh, more of an ultimate extreme case. And then um, it's just been dawning on me recently that um, some of you who are scientists that have the scientific minds know there's the concept in science of entropy, Mm -hmm. that everything in the cosmos moves towards destruction and and breakdown. And I would say this movie, Perfect Sense, is more of taking a concept like entropy and is applying it to the human race. So that, that can be a great mechanism then to take you to spirit because you start to, have to start to realize that, that the human race is part of the defense. You know, it, uh, uh, when Sherry came in, we were talking about that, that trilogy that's just come out with uh, Glass is coming out now as the third of the trilogy, and then the second one was Split, or in Spanish, Fragmentado. Some of you saw it. I saw it down in Mexico. Interesting name, Fragmentado. And then the first one, Unbreakable. Uh, but uh, when I went to see this with Svava um, recently, it was, you know, I of course, when I go to see those kind of movies, I'm thinking of... Bob Rosenthal and multiple personality disorder, like Sybil, or it's called officially DID, dissociative identity disorder. And, you know, when I see it and I see these great metaphors, and then when you think about it, if it's just one mind sleeping, dreaming of exile from heaven, that the personalities and the entities and what we would call in DID the altars, are all part of the defense against the light, which is remembering who you truly are in spirit. And yet, even in in therapy, therapists like Bob Rosendahl, who work with DID, they're always trying to get the altars to communicate, to meet, to not hide things from each other, because the altars that are part of DID are always trying to talk about each other and gossip on each other, and some of they're afraid of certain ones, like in this movie uh, Glass, the, the beast is kind of a prominent um altar that came out during Split. Uh but but when you think of it, that's what we've got going on with planet Earth with seven billion seemingly separate people. You could say those seven billion are all altars. And they're not communicating, <laughs> and they're hiding out, they're avoiding each other they're pointing fingers at each other, and they're trying to maintain a defense against the light and so yeah, that movie reminded me th- of that as well. so with this one, I think um, I think the main two characters uh, you and McG- Gregor plays the the male character and then uh, this woman I think she she's like a French actress or I've read something about her before but she plays uh, like an uh, epidemiologist who studies um, diseases and outbreaks of diseases and so forth and he's a chef uh, quite a quite a lively character and then so you have the male the female you have the the scientist and the, the expressive chef uh, who's kind of, uh, you know, quite a lively character and then and taking place over there in Europe, was, was it uh, UK? Somewhere in the UK, I don't know if it was Scotland or it was the, the main city, and then yet it's going to take the premise of this like outbreak and it's going to uh, take it out to, to an extreme. What I also like is that we know from defense mechanisms that the that the projected world is a distractive device uh to defend against intense emotions. And the separation, the belief in separation from God or from source is extremely intense, beyond comprehension intense, so so the emotions that are so packed and so repressed and so denied for most human beings, um, those are like covered over by all these associations and distractions that seem to be the world. And Once you start to go down and get a calling to go inward, you're called to move through those intense emotions. And and that's another good thing about this movie. It kind of shows the the spiritual journey in a very compressed way, kind of like Lucy. You know, Lucy was so compressed. How many hours was it? twenty-four? I was like, I call that twenty-four hours to enlightenment. This is like taking. That was just for one character. This is like doing it for the whole human race. Is taking the whole human race on a on a compressed journey of spiritual awakening, and then that's really cool because then it. Once you see it, you know, you're you're never the same. You know, it's it's in there. It's almost like, you know, when you watch this movie, you've taken like a time released awakening capsule and you, you've got it in there and it's like it's it's ticking. You've taken it and and you're you're kind of in the tractor beam because, you know, you don't really see the world in the same way when you are taken in towards that stillness, toward the holy instant. It just, everything shifts, Uh, everything shifts, and everything really accelerates, which is really, I think, what we're all praying for, is is an accelerated awakening. That's what we love about Lucy. So let's just see it for the whole human race. Uh, Let's be taken in for the whole human race. So anyway, that's my setup. So let's just, we got a nice theater, and we can just dive right in. And Ken, I'll just raise my hand and, and call your name uh, uh, for a pause. If we want to take a pause, like, we're like, everybody's going, ooh, and then we pause again. <laughs> <Ken. laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Freeze frame. <laughs> yeah, let's. <laughs> and then you've got the light button, too. Yeah. Very good. Thriller, love, and miserable. Okay, let's pause it. So it's a good start but it's it's you stop for a minute and you just think, you know, how your emotions are so tied into the perceptions that they're they're closely linked. You know, we jump from from her and this case of this man who can't smell and his anger coming up. He's very uncomfortable with uh, this inexplicable loss of smell. Uh, she's a bit dumbfounded when her associate says, "You know, how how did they become infected?" And he says, "We don't, you know, we don't know that they have been. There's no patterns. There's no associations. But when you really start to think of it, about the the core and the basic of perceptions that, that just like when you're watching a movie and you get drawn right into those scenes, drawn right into that kitchen, the the fast pace of that." the kitchen there, or drawn right into the scenes in a movie, you notice your mind just goes right into the scene, and it it goes right into it, like you're there. And there's a quick forgetting about uh, yourself as a person, Uh, there's a quick forgetting about that these are just sensations, these are just... Bits of sound and and light and shadows and colors and so on and so forth that seem to be quite meaningful because it's been forgotten that it's a projection in fact, um, even when most of us grow up, you know when we would go through our classes in high school and perhaps even university, you know we were taught that the world is outside of the body and that uh the body is perceived through the five senses and that light comes in through our through our irises and the whole thing of the image being flipped and inverted and sound comes into the body through the ears through ear waves hitting the eardrum and then little electrical impulses and neurons firing and the brain you know and and we smell through through the the nose and we taste through the, the tongue and we touch through uh, the, the skin and, and our limbs and so forth and it's very much throughout our education is that the world's outside and the body is the receptor and then the brain is the interpreter and although we know now with out-of-body experiences and many experiences that people have that are called psychic experiences that that the five senses are part of consciousness. And they really aren't part of the body at all. That's a projection too, that the ears hear, that the eyes see. It's a trick, but it's such a a trick that's been going on so long that it's just been accustomed and the mind assumes that that's just the way that it's working. And now, of course, through lots of different um, experiments that we have had and also uh, I don't know if you quantum physics, or if you remember uh, parts of what the bleep do we know, very popular movie. You know, Ramtha, you know, the ten thousand year old entity uh, speaking and saying, basically teaching us. uh, Ramtha's teaching us that that all those associations that are going on in consciousness is really where everything seems to be happening. It's all. In consciousness, it's really not apart from consciousness. That, and that's what the course is teaching us. That the, the, my thoughts are images I have made. He's making the connection through the workbook that the world that's perceived is not really out there. That's how what the bleep ends. You know, you know, with Fred Allen Wolf. You know, it's it's you know. Don't take my word for it. Look at it for yourself. And there, he says there's no world out there. There's no out there, out there. You know, he says one ex- exclamation. So we start to realize that it's like the eyes are more like the projectors and the ears are more like the both speakers and that everything that we've been taught and everything that we've believed about how the world works is actually reversed. So the body is not receiving anything. It's project through consciousness. Everything is being projected. And not just with one body, but it's just like the whole cosmos, the whole world through the planets and the spheres, and everything that is even imagined is part of, of a projection. And at one point in lesson 152, Jesus says, you may believe this is too all-encompassing to be the truth, but, but the truth has no exceptions. There is nothing outside of you. Uh, that that consciousness doesn't have two parts to it. And that's where the non-duality comes in, that consciousness is actually unified. There's only one dreamer, and all the bits and pieces and fragments that seem to be part of this giant projected cosmos aren't really separate at all. They're all part of a unified field, and that everything is completely interconnected. And there's nothing but this this connection. So here we are starting at the realm of the human and that's what I just want you to keep in mind that everything that's perceived is is a projection and that's why the Course is among many spiritualities saying you need to change your mind, you need to have a new purpose for the world, you need to look at the world in a different way because the way that you're looking at it is not accurate it's not true it's a very distorted view of reality in fact it's 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 so distorted that it doesn't even resemble reality whatsoever and and this is starting off with the five senses even the belief that that the five senses are part of the body is part of a distortion a projection that keeps the deception in place and this movie will help us start to collapse that projection. So just watch your emotions as you go on this ride, because, you know, those are your, your triggers, those are your touch points, you know, just, just watch how you, you, you feel during this movie. Don't get too locked into trying to understand anything I just said, but actually you'll start to feel As you go through this movie, and that will will be a a great inroad. We'll probably have quite a lively discussion toward the end. (laughs) We can pause it. This is the, to the scientific mind, this is the first dismantling because it's science, we should say, not quantum. Science, quantum physics, but science, Newtonian science is based on the belief in external causation. So this whole thing is is kind of disturbing and disorienting to the epidemiologist because their whole profession, their whole life, their whole all their studies, all their work, how they spend their day, their thoughts, everything is put in it has this underlying belief in causation in the world. So for them not to find connections and patterns or germs or some kind of links in the world is, you, you know, for a scientist, that's that's a shocker, you know. They're supposed to, you know, oh, well, let's put out a world, it's it's safe, it's spreading, but, you know, it's not infectious. And, you know, as we study the Course, Jesus says, yeah, that's, you've got the whole thing wrong. There are no causes. Uh, there are no diseases that are spread, there's no genetic diseases, there's no connection at all through anything in time and space, there's nothing linear. And this, of course, uh, is overturning all of Newtonian physics and all of empirical science. And so, if you start to look at the ramifications of that, it it goes on and on. You, you know, it, depends, it doesn't matter what you believe you are in this world, um, it can be that you're here in community and you're concerned about somebody telling you to do something and you have a charge, you know, I want it oh we need it by uh, three o'clock. Uh, or no, change the priority, I want you to do this. You know, well who said so? Who said so? You know The authority problem is all based on the belief that there's external causes in the world, even in time. That the things happen for every action, there's a reaction. That's a a typical, false, spurious, cause-effect relationship that's in physics, but it can be past life regressions that somehow the things that happened to us in the past, in past lives, or even in this lifetime, have consequences. No, they don't. They don't have any consequences at all. The the idea that you're feeling something based on the past, like a past action, a past decision you made, a past conditioning, uh, even a past belief, um, all these kind of things, even when you start to bring it into the mind and you still keep it on the timeline, it's still not accurate. There is nothing at all from the past that can that can actually help you find the holy instant. Uh, and there's nothing really in the future that can do that either, because that's just another defense against the holy instant. So, it's it's pretty profound, but you can start to see it from her perspective right away, even, don't worry, I'll call you, I'll call you if I know anything, because the scientists are looked to, much like doctors are looked to, or much like uh, social workers, or psychologists, or spiritual gurus, and so on and so forth. The idea that somebody can tell you something to figure out this linear causation, that nobody will ever be able to tell you anything to explain it, or to help you figure it out, because it's simply not true. There is no causation in form. And the ultimate reason is that the split is in the mind, the split is in consciousness, the, per- the believed-perceived split. And so when you perceive a dualistic world with male and female and masculine and feminine and, and yin and yang and all these things, that's all part of a distortion. Even the past and future are part of this massive distortion. and It's all a projection of, of the belief in separation from, from God. It's all a projection. And Jesus even tells us, you can't find the solution if you project the error to time. Do not project the error to time. So that's why it's going to bring everything back to all these intense emotions. And then when you start to go deeper into the intensity of it, the emotions, then you have to start to realize, wow, there's, there's some kind of cornerstone idea or belief or... Uh, just at the core of it all, that's just an error, and the only way that you can transcend that error is you have to go right at it, you have to go right into the mind, right at that error, because to the extent you're distracted by the images and you're distracted by who said what and who did what to who and all the dramas of the world, believing there's causation in the world, then you won't really go right at it, you will just distract away from the core wound, the core uh, belief that's that's hiding, and that this entire cosmos was made to to cover over. So, here we go. Getting you all primed. Okay, we can pause it. The ego only knows one thing, and that's adaptation because the whole world was made by fear. And all these associations, even though they try try to make good things and bad things and pleasurable things and painful things, they're really, none of them are different. And so when something starts to shift in the storyline, when something starts to be described as something's gone wrong, something's a problem, you can see right away, even though they were saying it's not infectious, People are wearing masks, even though they're told it's not infectious, because they assume why would I believe them? It must be infectious. You see that the causation is so deeply rooted. The guy right there in there you know he's talking about he's going to go chase some ladies down, and he gets out his laughing gas, and humor is is ego humor is a way of distracting to breaking the tension, breaking the fear. Telling jokes, we've all known people who like when it gets when the going gets really tough and it gets really tense, their jokes come in, and you know, and he's like, it's not funny and everything, but the guy that's a defense as well that you'll see in this movie that that when the things seem to shift in form, instead of the mind giving up the ego, it's the ego will attempt to hide itself, cover itself. Distract away, adapt and change, and and uh, I've some of you might have even seen the bumper sticker or the. Sometimes you see it as a billboard. I remember I saw it the first time as a billboard. It said, uh, "The only thing that is constant is change." It's not true. It's the it's the biggest lie that there is. But but that's what this world is: is the belief. Well, just accept the changing world, because it's perceived that reality is changing, and reality is changeless, actually, reality is constant, reality is love and light, reality is spirit, and yet the ego will just try to adapt, almost like it's part of its survival mechanism. The ego wants to exist, so it will keep interpreting and reinterpreting and reinterpreting and trying to adapt and change, uh, like a little spider that's trying to hide. And you've got a light that's shining down the well, and you move the flashlight, and wherever the light goes, the spider moves away into the darkness. It has to be in the darkness to maintain itself. And the only way, eventually, you've got to get a big spotlight and over the well, and boom, down on the, on the ego, it is. Because it's got, you know, it can't answer the light, you know, it's like, oh, got me. But that's what you'll notice in this movie. Watch all the adaptations that happen. So let's pause it here. It's interesting you take away the smell, which is the five senses were made to distract the mind from be still and know that I'm God. The five senses were meant to make, to perpetuate the monkey mind, to keep the mind so busy, to keep the mind so Caught up in the images, that the emotions were buried and covered over. Already, our movie's a little bit different than Lucy because you can tell at the beginning, Lucy's, uh, you know, she's got a pretty wild boyfriend, remember Cowboy, and and she's not too emotionally attached to Cowboy. But then, when she meets the the Koreans and, and and they, you know, she's taken. Uh, back by them, and there's, they're carrying her, and she's lifted up, and everything. Then the fear comes up, but but Lucy, you know, there's not a whole lot of tears shed in <laughs> Lucy's movie. But this is like this is taking away a sense, like the sense of smell associated with grief. So, you know, some of you probably have felt that sometimes you just feel really, really, super, super sad, and you don't. Really have a reason to feel that sad. I mean, you look at your life and you think it's not that bad. You tell your mind, and yet you feel super sad, like you're sad for the whole world. You're sad for the whole universe. That it's like pulling away a distraction, one of these five distractions, and then this huge grief and sadness coming up. And then they think they're thinking of. Loved ones or people that they miss, like she misses her father, and, and the sadness starts to come, almost like a volcanic eruption when you take away a distracted device that was holding a lot of it down and in place, then here it comes. And that's very much how the spiritual journey goes. You know, it's like, feel those feelings, allow those feelings up. That's what's underneath no private thoughts and no people-pleasing, is just going in another direction where everything that was pushed out of awareness and everything that was denied and stuffed down has to be allowed up. You can see it's happening pretty quick and it's happening on kind of a, a, a pretty broad mm-hmm. scale where people are crying in the streets and crying everywhere. Here they've just had had a little... Uh, he fixed her uh, some fish and and then all of a sudden whoosh, here comes the, like a geyser of, of sadness and emotion coming up. So that's another good thing about this film, is it's just kind of showing the whole spiritual journey, maybe in a little bit fuller picture than Lucy did. You know, that was 24 Hours to Enlightenment with the Blue Powder. Uh, this is more showing it more on a broader scale, but it also gives you a fuller picture of it so that, you know, It it takes away the surprises, you know, so you, you can start to get a context for it all, so you're not so shocked and surprised when your emotions hit you that hard. Uh, it wasn't too many days, it was a, a couple, two or three days ago, Svava just had just the, just the emotions, the darkness came up like a geyser, it was like a geyser of dark night, uh, and it was just, she even had her iPhone in her hand and she just went <laughs> like she just to hurl that iPhone. When when Suave was ready to hurl her iPhone, uh, that it tells you how intense <laughs> the emotions are. <laughs> that thing is like, you know, that's your supercomputer that's got your music on or it's got your photos and everything. And when you just and then she was like, I'm gonna hurt myself, I'm gonna hurt myself and everything. So it was, you know, that's like this movie when the emotions come rocketing up like a like a shooting geyser You know, the mind is starting to what? Feel the split The split that's been pushed out of awareness. Not only is the kingdom of heaven been pushed out of awareness, but But the separation's been pushed out of awareness You know, how many people wake up in the morning and and if they're feeling a little stiff or like oh, there's that separation belief again. gotta deal with another day of that belief. you know it's it's you know it's so 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 pushed out of awareness, and yet that's what the acceleration is that that's why it's almost just welcome the emotions. you have to welcome them up, even as uh as crazy as wild as it can seem to be in the mind. You can't keep them down. You have to welcome them, and you are strong enough to deal with them. You wouldn't even have those in awareness if you weren't strong enough at that point to deal with them. The Spirit will never give you more than you can handle, and, and the, that's the purpose of them. It, it, of course, when the, when the intensity of those emotions come up, you have a stronger than ever impetus for change. And again, the ego will project that out to, I need to change something in my life, I need to get away from you people, I need to find new this, I need to do this different, I need... it's going to always look for some, something in time and space to change, but actually it's a change of mind, it's a change of purpose that's being called for. That's why we're doing all this mind training, and we're focusing on calling on that new purpose, the function, give me my special function, give me my calling. Let me fully immerse in my calling that will lift my mind up, you know, and will help shine the light and and wash this darkness away. Okay, let's pause it. There's There's your adaptation, you see? Instead of taking the Buddha route, hmm, what is the meaning of this? Instead of asking those deeper ontological questions, what is this showing me about my consciousness? What what could possibly be the purpose of this? All this sadness and then losing the five senses, it's like life goes on. The, the sleeping mind is so mesmerized by the images that even if you take away One of the five senses, and even if you have intense grief the mind will still play the game of what? Adaptation. Life goes on. Let's make a different plan. Let's make the food more spicier. Bring out the big guns. We've got a restaurant. It might be good to ponder, why am I even working? What is a career? Reciprocity. There's a lot of things you could ponder, you know, if you had a loss of one of your five senses and, and intense grief. But this is what self-inquiry is about. This is what where we get into philosophy. This is where we get into the depth of metaphysics, is when people experience a tremendous loss, a trem- something that they cannot process, that they cannot figure out. That's where do you think the DID seems to come from when people develop multiple personalities or dissociative identity disorder, they, they have some kind of, of memory of what they call abuse, some kind of trauma that's so extreme and so intense that they cannot process it. And the way that they adapt to that is they s- split their identification in multiple ways, like Sibyl, or in multiple ways, like in this uh, uh, split and in uh, Fragmentado, there's this character that has nine different altars. There's all these attempts to, to break it apart and to work it out through fragmentation, through separation, through trying to believe that human beings or alters or these separate characters are real and they have a real life and they have real issues that are based on the past and all these kind of things. It's all part of a, a defense. So, this is why you really have to be ready, but once you start to be ready, then you're going to become more Naturally introspective, more naturally inquiring what is going on in my consciousness what are what where do these thoughts come from? Where do these emotions come from? What do I believe when you have all that grief coming up, it would be and all that sense of loss, then it would be good to inquire what is the origin of loss, and is it possible to Transcend that loss, you see that's the difference between adaptation of adapting using the surface all the the characters and the images in this case the food and everything because at this point you know it's like it's it's like they're not questioning their work they're not trust questioning their self concepts of who they believe they are in the world and so forth it's just like there's a Okay, we need a big shift, the, the owner of the restaurant is like bring out the big guns. We're not closing down my restaurant, uh, I don't know what's happening, it's very mysterious, but we're going to roll with it, we're going to roll with it and adapt. And and I think all of us can, can see that in our lives where, where we've adapted and then it's not quite enough, there's still not a stability, there's still not a constancy, there's still not a, a continuity, a steadiness. certainty, there's not surety, there's not confidence, because the mind is still into the game of adaptation, and as long as the mind is just adapting, reacting, it's not coming to truth. There is no truth in any of the adaptations, not a speck of truth. Truth is constant, truth is not changing, and all the adaptations involve, involve change. So here we're seeing the adaptation at the restaurant to start off with here. But we know there's got to be more. Well, let's pause here. You look at this. See what's starting to emerge. Somebody who's talking about enjoy the moment, who's taking what four senses are left and accentuating them, but she's joyful, she's gleeful. She's activated, instead of looking with what's gone wrong, she's inspired to get out there and talk to people and take their hands and draw them in to her joy. Enjoy the moment. This moment is your miracle. It's a plug. (laughs) It's drawing you in, drawing you in, even when the circumstances seem more intense. And so, and you can look at their faces. It was a perfect freeze frame there, Ken. What a fine stop. Because you can see it in their faces. They're like, what is her game? He was trying to get his girl out on a, a date. He tried all of his food things. No, no, not, no, 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 no. And then, let's go for some air. And she just comes, and then you can see the look like, what is this? Because all of them are, they've dealt with the sadness and now they've lost the seemingly lost the sense of smell and now they've adapted a bit, but still, what's it all about? What's it all about? Where is this all heading? Where is this going to take me? How will I end up? All the timeline concerns, the, t- the egoic concerns about the timeline. Where is this going to take me? Is it safe? You know, even, he said, how's the death and misery going? Any, any more news on the death and misery? Nah. You know, she's, she's not so interested in her profession anymore. There's something more important. But I really like these symbols of this, this one with her leaves coming up to people's faces, and she's bringing them, enjoy the moment. You know, I, I see that as a good sign, that, that, that it, it's inevitable. So we first we saw it more on a global level, where the intensity as the intensity arises, then it's like you know all these theories of what's what's in the air, what's happening, who's to blame, God, all these different things. It's this. It's a crisis. It's a crisis of causation. There's a crisis of causation when when the mind starts to wake up. In fact, in the movie Dark City. Uh, There's a line in there where it says, They behave strangely when they begin to awaken. They behave strangely because they're desperate to find causation. Who is evil? Who are the evil people? Is it aliens? Is it dark energy? Is it something from the past? Is it something that can happen in the future? The mind's frantic. It's looking to its timeline to try to figure it out. And this, and then it brings it down. The next scene, she just she's walking along at her job, but she sees her colleague running by, and then she's curious: what's going on? You had a loved one, a dear one, a friend go racing by with a frantic look on the face. What's the matter? What's the cause? Why are they running by so fast? What is it? You see, it's all causation. It's a crisis. Of causation, that the first split was in consciousness. Everyone talks about Christ consciousness, God consciousness. Jesus lets us in in the Course and he says, actually consciousness was the first split introduced. There is no consciousness in the kingdom of heaven. Consciousness is the domain of the ego. Ooh, okay. I didn't hear that through my Eastern teachers. Consciousness is the domain of the ego, the first split. And yet, watch how the mind tries to project and look to the world for the salvation. Look to the world for the causation. Look at this guy. There's so much hatred in the world. The world is so much hatred. What does Jesus tell us? He says, until you are willing to look upon the full extent of your own self-hatred. You will not be willing to let it go. That's why we're back to inquiry. We're back to look inside. Go within, follow the signs. Go within, go within. As best you can, all throughout the day, practice the mind training, go within. Notice the irritations, the annoyances, you know. It's just a a thin veil drawn over intense rage, Jesus tells us. There is intense emotions in this mind, in this consciousness, that believes it's separate from its source. And all these timeline images can't cover it over, like the princess and the pea, all the layers, all the mattresses. The princess still knows something is amiss, something's wrong, something Call it sin. Call it evil. Call it evil energy. Call it whatever you want. It doesn't really matter. Call it error. Mary Bicaretti called it error. She was a wise one. But there's an intense hatred that has got to be exposed. and And it looks like it's in the world. I mean, he's observing it on the news. Even in the times that we're experiencing, you know, if you Watch the news. Most, most of you don't watch the news, but if you would watch the news <laughs> I have to tell people in my house the temple what's going on. Yeah. Like, what? What's what's going on? I have to fill them in a little bit. But it's like if you know, because of all the world events we saw and then we shifted to uh, his interpretation, like there's so much hatred in the world, and he feels like he's going crazy, he's losing it. He's not accustomed to that level of hatred. It's like the the distractions and the denials and the bands of cover-ups are being pulled off in the mind, and then it's getting to be like raw, really raw emotion. And then, and The ego, of course, is saying there's things going wrong in the world. There's things that need to be fixed in the world. That's even in our times, so to speak. That's a lot. The talk show radios. The airwaves are lighting up with the political solutions, lighting up with the environmental solutions, lighting up with we need to change the eating habits and the food, lighting up with the economic distribution solutions. Socialism, Marxism, no, more capitalism. There's lighting up with all these kind of things. And what did Shakespeare call it? Much ado about uh, nothing, is what he said. And that's what we're being taught. That's part of our mind training. We have to actually come into the experience that it's much ado about nothing. Because as long as it's something, you will look for solutions in the something, when it's nothing. It's a part in the workbook of A Course in Miracles where Jesus is saying pretty early on, let all of your meanings go, let all of your meanings go, of everything you think you think, of everything you think you know. Don't hold on to any of them. Let them all go. Why? Why should I let all these meanings go? So that the word of God can be written on them instead. He not only tells us, like Buddha said, empty your mind, but he tells us the reason why we should empty our mind. That's why Jesus was the first to awaken from the dream, because he realized, oh, it's all for a purpose, this emptying of the mind, so that the Word of God, complete non-judgment, complete unification, complete connection could, could be written upon the world, but as you're approaching and you start to go through that emptying out process, the ego is going to scream bloody murder. It's going to scream bloody hell. It's going to scream like it's dying as you go toward that point. It's going to scream, I'll tell you now. I kid you not. It is going to scream as you go through this emptying process. Look at Lucy, you know. She even had her panic moment in the, in the airplane. Remember she's up in the airplane and she, she had to try to rush. It's, her hand was disappearing and she was having a mystical experience that, she, that the ego was freaking. And she went into the, to the bathroom in the, in the airplane and just started stuffing <laughs> with whatever was there. <laughs> a hand or whatever, trying to, trying to get the blue... Jason calls it the blue crack, <laughs> the blue powder blue crystals, the blue powder trying to get it in there because it was it was a terrifying moment of disillusionment. The hand started to disappear the face. She looked in the mirror, the nose, the face started to disintegrate, you know to the ego. That's freaky stuff because why? Because the body is the ego's home. It believes it's at least tried to fool the mind into thinking that the body is the home but it freaks because it's so identified and associated with the body that it, it felt like it was disappearing too rapidly up in that plain restroom scene. So, Okay, here we go, we've only lost one sense at this point and uh, had some major grief. Let, come on, bring it on here, let's see some more. Let's see how we deal with this uh, spiritual awakening. <laughs> It, betray, it, betray, it betrays you. It betrays your spirit. Or for her, I can't die alone. Now we're getting down to what some core, core, core beliefs. That that the belief in abandonment, the belief in betrayal, the belief, I can't die alone. It's like I I need someone to be. You know, at the beginning, you know, she was like talking about. the... This relationship she had, she's kind of still spun around about that. But she needing somebody, and then as she comes in here with Michael, and then it's back and forth. And her girlfriend's like saying, you know, oh, all this protected protectionism and everything like this. You can even see that moment when they both were together there in, in in her apartment at one point, and then they just looked in each other's eyes. And there was like. Like three, three, four seconds, 1,001, 1,002, 1,003, 1,004, and then they quickly turn away. The fear of intimacy, the fear of that love, the fear of the connection, the fear of losing control of one's personality, of one's altar. (laughs) Just losing one altar. But the one altar that you're most identified with brings up great terror. You know, because it's all this association, dissociative identity disorder. It's the mind has has forgotten that it's a mind. It's forgotten it's a divine mind. It's forgotten it's it's a creation of God, that God gave away everything in creation and created like itself. Even in the Bible it said God created man in his own likeness and image and And sure enough, that likeness is spirit. An image is of a like quality. Spirit creates spirit. Mind creates, divine mind creates divine mind. It's it's in a continuous line of creation. And what we have to discover if we're going to be clear of level confusion, if we're going to be clear of all these distortions in the mind, Jesus tells us, is you really need to be a miracle worker, you have to have a clear distinction between what is created and what is made. All the personalities, all the entities, whether they're on this planet or any planet, whether they're in their past or the future, all entities are make-believe. There's not a single entity ever in all of history or ever to come that has any reality whatsoever, because why? Because spirit creates like itself. In order to be a healer, in order to be a miracle worker, you have to have a distinction between what is created and what is made. Everything of time and space is made. It's make-believe, it's fictitious, it's temporal, it's finite, it's changing, it's unreal. And the creation the creation is what the waking up is all about. You can't even be a miracle worker. You can't even let miracles come through unless you come to a clear distinction of what is created and what is made. Because then it would be circular. If you were so addicted to believing in the reality of what is made up, then you'd need a miracle to correct that, but it wouldn't it wouldn't help you. You still have to come to that connection, that there's something that's real, that's created, that's eternal. You have to open up to that. And then the miracle, what does the miracle do? It just sees the false as false. It just sees all the images as false, as equally false. Wow, that miracle takes you home like nothing else. That miracle takes you back to the holy instant. But you can't really approach God Love, Eternity, Source, without gaining an appreciation of the distinction between what is created and what is made. That's so important. And you can see in this movie that without that clear distinction, look at the emotions. Look at the intensity of denying the Creator, of denying true creativity. Are you ready to hear that there's no creativity in the world? Even in music, even in art, even in poetry, even in the colors, this short little range of colors that humans perceive, even in all those things, there's no creativity. Because it's a projection. It has no reality whatsoever. A clear distinction between what is created and what is made. Because if you don't have that distinction in your mind, you'll get lost in make believe. You will get lost in stories. You will get lost in looking for outcomes. You will get lost in trying to make something happen. Nothing's going on, but you won't realize nothing's going on. <laughs> if you don't have a clear distinction between the created and the made. It's, it's key. All the levels, all the frequencies, they're illusions, all of them. Jesus tells us the only levels that do not conflict, I want to know what he's going to say after that, the only levels that do not conflict are the levels of the Trinity. The only levels that do not conflict are the levels of the Trinity. There's no conflict between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're just symbols that are used for a sleeping mind. The Christ is who you are. The Holy Spirit is the bridge back to remember the Christ. <laughs> and the Creator is the Creator. And let's begin to let go of these New Age ideas like, I am God. What an abomination! That's not the truth either. I am one with God. I am a creation of God, not the body, but the Spirit is a perfect creation of of the Creator. Neither male, neither female, but there has to be that awareness. Like when Jesus said, why do you call me good? Only the Father is good. He was simply pointing that that there was a creator. Even in the Course of Miracles he says, when he says, I and the Father are one, it says, notice that there's two parts to the sentence. Not in reality, because in reality there's just one spirit, but there's something there. There's something there. There's something like Ricky's, the name of Ricky's show is what? Humbled to admit that you are created by God is a very humble thing. But why is it so important? It's because you cannot create yourself. That's what it means. You are an effect of God. Cause and effect? There's no cause and effect in the world. But what about God as cause, Christ as effect? One in spirit, but there's a humbleness. I cannot create myself. You know, any emotion that you have, any difficulty, any struggle that you ever, ever, ever perceive involving time and space is healed with one admission. I did not create myself. That's the humble answer that wipes away all the tears, that that wipes away all hurt, all suffering, all struggle. I did not create Myself. If you lived in I did not create Myself, do you think you would ever get into an argument ever again? Do you think you would ever have a conflict ever again? Do you think you'd ever have a problem ever again if it was accepted, I did not create Myself? Because in I did not create myself, there is no competition, there is no reciprocity, there is no lack, there is no concern, there is no doubt. I am as God created me. This one idea will set you free, basically Jesus tells us in the Course. And don't you love it when you get to that workbook and he starts repeating ideas? Wait a minute, I did that one before, I'm sure. I am as God created me. Why do you think he repeats that lesson over and over and over? Because it's the only lesson that you need. Actually, The other ones are just like fluff, 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 just nothing but fluff. I am as God created me is, is the answer to any problem. If you were going to sing an eternal song, that would be your song. At one point, I I mean, being raised with the Bible, I would always see this thing, the Word of God, with a capital W, and I, I was like, Word. In the beginning was the Word. Ooh. But what's this word? <laughs> what is this? What is this word? And Jesus does come out in the workbook and he says, actually, the Word of God is. I am as God created me. Ah, oh, That's the word! There's the word! That's the word! Let go of all the small ideas, all the, the false meanings you've given to everything, all the little names that you've ascribed to everything in the cosmos, and let the name of God stand as a safe replacement. What's the name of God? It's the word. I am as God created me. It's so simple. It's not multiple. There's just one word. (laughs) And it's the acceptance that I didn't create myself. I am as God created me. So that's like where this is all pointing. And that's our context because as we watch this, now we've seen both of our main characters. They're starting to what? Crack up. Go cuckoo. You've probably felt it too, living in spiritual community or facing the data thing. Feeling a little cuckoo today, feeling a little like Jack Nicholson. One flew over the cuckoo's nest. You know, you're feeling like that, and then it's like, and then you can know this part of your mind is going, What's going wrong? What's wrong? What did I do wrong? What did I say wrong? What will happen to me? Will I make it? Will I survive? Will I get kicked out? Wait a minute, what about the Word? Let's come back to the Word. What's the Word? Remember the Word. You You see how the Word is going to be the salvation of the mind, the healing of the mind. Not the healing of the body. How can something that doesn't even exist get healed? That's ridiculous. Can't heal what isn't real. That's a good one to remember. I cannot heal what is not real. I am as God created me. Now some of you might be saying, oh, come on, this is getting a little too far out. I actually had a scene like this happen. I was at a Course in Miracles group. I kept going to the same Course in Miracles group and the Word that kept coming through me so much over and over, like every Tuesday night. And then it went on for weeks. I was just there letting the Word pour through and everything. And then... This was a Course group that liked to have a little get-together with some food occasionally, and, and chit-chat about, you know, what do you think, and this, and this, and opinions, and this, and this. And we just got so much into that intimate moment, where everything got so still at this Course in Miracles group on Tuesday night. And I don't know what I was saying and where it came, but it got really still, and really super still. And then at one point, there was a coffee table in front of us, in front of all of us, and everybody did this. They, it, it got so intimate, too intimate, <laughs> too close. They all surged for the food at once. I've never seen it like piranhas in a pool or something. They just surged at the food and started stuffing their faces. So this is not a new scene for me, I saw that. This is this is what happens when things start to get intimate and there's a fear coming to the surface. I'm gonna die, I'm gonna be all alone, I'm gonna die all alone. You know, it was her, she voiced it first, but you could see them, we're all alone. No, we're not, no, we're not. You know, the, all the stuff coming up, the terror, this is like the terror of separation. This is what all this fluff, all this fluff, that's the human condition, the cosmos, the entities, and all this humbo-mumbo-jumbo is all just a bunch of fluff covering over intense fear, absolute intense fear. And now it's coming out more, first it was the smelling and the sadness and grief, now it's the, it's the taste part and, and the absolute intense fear fear of loss and abandonment. So now if we pause it here, uh, Michael you know he's a chef, now he'll question the concept of job, of career. Maybe not completely yet, you'll be surprised how adaptive the ego will try to come up with a maneuver to stop this one. But you'd think if you were a chef and, and you all human beings lost smell and taste that's that would sink the the profession. But don't think that this belief in lack of survival, of having to do jobs and reciprocity, is going to be sunk so quick. Just with two senses, it's going to take something deeper to do that. But but he's just coming back and there, he's seeing her. But you know he's coming back on his bike. But from his perspective, it's like it's, he's probably got a lot of questions, like wow, because his his livelihood. And his, his passion was tied up into that uh, cooking. He was always wanting to cook for her. Are you hungry? Even his romantic ideas, you know, trying to get her out of her apartment was mostly food ideas. And now the sense of, of the taste and the smell are gone. So then you start to really watch hmm, how desperate the ego is to adapt, to hang on to the time-space constructs. So you can see, losing two senses and going through that, you know, some of the the, the interpersonal concerns and the concerns about the future—they're—they're they're starting to get a little more ontological, even in bed. You know, well, what about these two senses, and what about if it—if you're wrong, what if we lose them all? Then we're fucked. You know, it's like you, you start to see it's getting a little deeper now, because there's more of an urgency with it cuz it's not it's not before there were like ships passing in the night you know and now it's starting to open up because in the end it's you're getting closer and closer to the value of communication that's why we're always talking about function get into your function get into your purpose cuz in the end that's that's all that it's all for not that it should be oh okay i'm going to give 10 minutes to God here or there, but but practice getting into your function 24-7, full-time, because in the end that's going to be your saving grace. That new purpose for the world will replace the hatred. You're just getting a head start. You're just getting a head start when you're getting into your purpose and your function. That's why we value collaboration. That's why we value communication, deep, meaningful communication, authenticity, lay down the mask, they're starting to lay down the mask here for sure. It's before it was like they were kind of dancing around trying to almost like avoid each other a bit and very afraid of what will it mean and the fear of, you know, rejection and will it last and all those kind of things that go through in this dance called human relationship. But now when these two senses are gone, if things are starting to get more be more uh, you might say, now we're seeing the emphasis on the connection and the communication. Like we saw before where like the consumerism and the fear and the, the lack was emphasized. It's also the flip side of the spirit. The light is like drawing them in more and saying, yeah, what have I got to lose? Now relationship doesn't seem like it's just part of the human condition, it's it's emphasized. It's like, oh my gosh, there must be a purpose for this relationship. And, and connection actually feels better than fear. And you start to actually have a, a contrast where you're actually starting to turn like, oh yeah, 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 the, the connection, that's it, that's the ticket. I, I need to be connecting, I need to be communicating. I don't need to be hiding. I don't need to be playing hiding behind masks and pretending. They're just getting more to the point, like what have I got to lose here? We don't even know what's going to happen, but we've lost two senses and we've gone through these intense emotions. What have I got to lose by being that direct, that focused, that direct? That's what's happening. We're feeling it in terms of collaboration. You go into this, you start to let go of the the preferences of of how the partner looks and some of the stuff they may have had going on at the beginning, at this point when the senses start going and the emotions start coming up, you're not going to be so much concerned about the appearances as you are the purpose. What is it that's drawing us together? What is our purpose for being here? What will bring a blessing to the whole universe? Those are the kind of things those kind of collaborations and and accepting whoever's brought in front of you, that you have a mighty purpose and you're not just gonna give your mind over to the ego, start judging how they look or what you think you know about them and trying to put them in a box and, and relate to them like from the past reference point in the image, you're gonna want to really connect. Like in Solaris, you're gonna want to really see the light Solaris, light is. You're going to go for the Solaris moment, the holy instant, because why? Because that's the whole, the purpose of everything, is to zoom into that. You're you're going to want to zoom into a real relationship, a real holiness, a holy relationship with whatever is in front of you, because that's what is valuable. That's all that's valuable in terms of anything in time and space, it's just that connection. And I love these scenes because they really, I don't don't know, it just seems like the mask is starting to drop big time there, even the way that they're gazing at each other. They're not so, if they started off, remember, they couldn't sleep. They didn't want a person around in their space, my space, give me some space. (laughs) Now that's kind of out the window, you know. Now give me some connection, give me some heart to heart connection. So let's pause there. Service. Even with two senses gone, service. Again, we're ahead of the game. You're ahead of the game if you feel devotion in your heart. You feel service. How can I serve? How can I serve? Look at this. They can't smell or taste and they like being served they like being waited on, there's something nurturing about service, even with two senses blown out of there, There's still you start to see what rises up. The mask comes down, they're more direct in their communication, more direct in their expressions, and and you gotta love that, you know, they're still going for that feeling of nurturing and service. (laughs) <laughs> okay, let's pause it. You notice as the mask starts to drop, the inhibitions start to drop as well. Because the inhibitions are all based on all these categories and what's right and what's normal and what's weird. You know, what is weird? If you lose your taste and you lose your... Your smell, they're just the texture, the soft. Oh, it's soft. This is soft. There, try some. And then here, look at this. This, this is so. You know, it's it's getting back. Remember how children are so curious. Oftentimes, children they they don't have that layered part of of control. The layered part of of we do this, we don't do that. I mean, it's all part of conditioning that builds up as a thicker onion. That you have to peel later on anyway. You might as well peel as soon as possible. Here, they're starting to, they've lost those two senses, and so they're starting to get a bit childlike too and be curious. But you feel the energy of that. There's a synergy with this. There's a spontaneity that wasn't there before. They're getting very, very spontaneous. They're exploring connection. Isn't that a spectacular thing to explore? Exploring connection, exploring communication. This is like a version of, of nothing I see means anything. Certainly nothing I smell smells like anything, and nothing I taste tastes like anything at this point. So there's more curiosity coming in. And, and that's what it takes also to discover the kingdom of heaven within you. Is We have to cultivate curiosity. Why is that so important? It's because the I-know-mind is based on the past. The I-know-mind is saying the past is real, and even though when they say life goes on, they go back to try to some semblance of the past, even if they have to make huge adaptations. But there's something there in that curiosity, because no one will discover God unless they're curious about God. You have to be curious first. And then, as that curiosity grows, it takes over it takes over your whole mind. it just takes back what was always one, just takes it back, and all this frivolous, fluffy stuff just starts to become you don't care about it, you know they're already not not caring about it. they're not caring about eating soap or putting soap in their mouth or doing anything like that. It's like the concerns aren't there. They are definitely not dancing around each other now. You can tell they're like they're like going at it like 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 children do sometimes when they're curious. They're curious about sexuality. They're curious about the world. I've told that story one time with a young child who's just speaking. You know that age when they ask all the questions. I was at a movie theater and only me and a mother and the child who sat like three rows in front of me. And then as the movie came on, that child proceeded to ask the mother like about 700 questions in that hour and a half movie. What's that? Why did he do it? Why did she do it? Why did he do it? And it was like a, a flow of it. And to me it was so delightful because I was like, ooh, I could feel, I didn't even care about the movie. I knew that the spirit had brought me into that movie theater to to, to rediscover curiosity. Because before you can wake up to the truth, you first have to allow yourself to ask questions, and then as you go deeper, you start to ask better questions, which are what's going on in my awareness, you know, they're not questions aimed at the world, they start to be questioned aimed more self-inquiry, I was talking about earlier. That's a very natural flow when you start to do it, but you still have to be curious. You can't think that you've got it all figured out, because you really can't get the lesson that you don't know anything if you think you know something. So you have to be curious and say, maybe I don't know anything, but maybe I can be shown if I'm curious. And you you cultivate that. So let's pause it here. Yeah, this is an interesting one. Hearing loss and rage. There's a line in the Course where Jesus said, there are many answers you have received, but have not heard. (laughs) So we're receiving transmissions all the time, but we're not hearing them. And there's a rage. Because when you are receiving something that's given you and you're not hearing it, if this is instruction on waking up and you're not hearing it, then rage is the emotion. Because that voice, that small still voice, that instruction is the call to joy, is the call to happiness, the peace, the heaven, the oneness. And it's interesting hearing loss and And rage, it's like God isn't doing this. God didn't uh, bring about a fall from grace. Jesus says in in the Genesis story, God would never have put you in a position of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God would never tempt Mm -hmm. you and you. God only knows you as perfect spirit, as creation. And so the mind that believes in the ego is doing this to itself by wanting to be self-creating, by wanting to be the creator, by wanting to create itself. There's a rage that's associated with that attempt to usurp creation, attempt to miscreate. It's not possible. Spirit just creates like spirit, but to attempt to miscreate, of course, is going to be associated with rage. And if there is an answer in there that's helping you free your mind from that deception, and you don't want to listen to that voice, you don't want to hear it, you don't trust it, you're afraid of it, if you don't want to hear it, then rage is the emotion that goes with not wanting to hear the help it's the it's the help is there the light is there, but if you don't want to be helped, if you want to isolate, if you want to be right, if you want to be right about what about I can create myself, then that's the predicament of the human condition, wanting to be right about creating oneself We're like Oprah, remake yourself. Do a redo, remake yourself, recreating scenes from the past. That's not true, you can't, because the past has nothing to do with creation. You can't keep remixing the the images around and think you're going to come up with a different version of yourself because you don't have the ability to create yourself in the first place. So that's why the Holy Spirit is always asking us to choose again and to let go of whatever identifications we have with anything. Of this world because that's how rage is perpetuated, by not listening, by not wanting to listen to the instructions, to follow the instructions. Go here. And that's the prayer, that's the prayer of the heart. What would you have me do? Where would you have me go? What would you have me say and to whom? That's an open mind that's just saying, use me, show me the way, let me be of service because that's how I'm going to escape from this belief that I can create myself, is through that devotion. Let me hear. When you get upset, the first thing should be, what do you have to show me? What do you have to tell me? And if you can't even get those words out, just help! (laughs) Instead of justifying the anger or the upset, it's just like, help, I need help. Here, you know that's the that's the good direction. So now we're getting we're getting in touch with its self hatred, the rage that's that's buried down there. With all the mask, you can tell what ideas is back now with the fury, infection. We've already been over this. There there is no cause in the world. It's impossible for anything to be transmitted with DNA. It's impossible for anything to be translated through viruses, through radiation and the sun's waves on a body. False cause-effect relationships, you know. How do we know this? Because there is one who is the way, the truth, the life, that walked on the water, that raised the dead, raised from the dead himself, so to speak, itself, spirit, Just all demonstrations were about you know, palsy, leprosy, by your faith you are healed. There was a lot of demonstrations a couple thousand years ago about the power of the mind and the impossibility of causation in form. You know, there's a lot of great ancient non-dual traditions, but let's Go back to something a little closer to our time, when Mary Baker Eddy, who had a lot of seeming sickness and a lot of things going on in her life, when she just started to go inside with her inquiries, how can this even be so? And then, I don't know if you know some of you know the story when she um, she fell. On the ice right now. There's a lot of winter storms going on all across the United States, and there's a lot of slippery sidewalks and ice. She fell on the ice, and there was so much bleeding and hemorrhaging that they got her inside and they got a doc called a doctor. And she was laying there bleeding, hemorrhaging, what what the world would call all this internal bleeding and everything. They brought a doctor in to Mary Baker Eddy. And the doctor went in, and the friends were gathered outside the room, and he went in to check on her. And then he made his diagnosis, and he walked out of the room, and he spoke to the friends and said she's going to die. Meanwhile, meanwhile, in on that bed, she was there, she didn't have a lot of strength left, but she reached over with that hand. Get her Bible. And she opened up to a passage that she'd read many, many times. It was, the, it was the one with the paralytic, the one with the paralytic, you know, the guy that, remember the one, the parable where Jesus is giving his talk, it's really clearly outlined in the Urantia book, and this paralytic guy, they bring him and he says, I have to see Jesus and there's no way he's teaching inside that house. But he's so determined to be healed that he has them lift him up and go up onto the roof of the building and take the tiles off of the ceiling and lower him down on a couch right in front of Jesus in the middle of the teaching. He wanted so much to be healed that he persisted and had them lower, take the tiles off of the roof and lower him down. And in the Urantia books, it's explained, you know, that he comes down and Jesus is in the middle of talking. And he basically looks over and he feels this guy's passion for healing and wholeness. And he says, Arise. And this paralyzed guy gets off the couch and walks off. As people gasp, absolutely gasp, at this paralyzed guy walking off and then the whole teaching session if i ended this session right now without in the, the movie right then that's when the whole jesus it was so much of a teaching that there's no causation in the world that he just completely ended the teaching session and left as well now what did mary baker already? she actually was it fell on the ice, internal bleeding. The doctors just to- told the, her friends and, and people outside the door that she's dying. And she picks up this Bible and something happened when she read that parable. For probably the hundred and some times she read it and she was just like, Aha! 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 And what did she write in her book, Science and Health with Key to the Scriptures? Everybody should know it by heart by now. There's no mind in matter. There's no life, there's no truth, there's no substance, there's no intelligence in matter. There's no spirit in matter. That's pantheism, in case any of you ever studied philosophy. Pantheism is the belief that God indwells in objects. God is in that apple. God is in that tree, God is in that person, God is in spirits and houses and all kinds of crazy beliefs. All of those things are the belief that spirit can come into matter. Spirit cannot come into matter. Spirit did not create matter. Creation and making were back to the same distinction. And that's when she rose up out of that bed. And she walked out of that room, and the looks on her friends' faces, they turned white. They looked like ghosts. Because why? Because they thought they were watching a ghost. (laughs) But it wasn't. They weren't watching a ghost. It was Mary Baker Eddy, who just had a big aha. And she walked right out of that room, and, the, and her friend's faces turned white, and the doctor turned white, because why? He had just said, she's, she's a goner. As my grandfather would say, she's a goner. She's a goner. She's going to die. And oh no, she rose up. Now that's important that she wrote those words. There's no mind in matter. There's no life truth, substance, or intelligence. And even though she worked with some of the greatest with thinby and some Quinby and some of the great people of her time, hypnotists and everything, the part that was missing in hypnotism, the part that was missing in all of that was one thing. God. God. That's what she discovered. The power of God is all powerful, and the power of matter, and the power of causation, in the power of believing that there's anything powerful in time and space. There's no such thing as a powerful person. There's no such thing as a powerful country. There's no such thing as, as a powerful technique. There's no such thing as a powerful anything in time and space because why? There is no mind in matter. There is no life, truth, substance, or intelligence in matter give up the belief in such foolishness, and such fluff. Why? It wasn't created. And if it doesn't have a creation, it doesn't have an existence. All power is of God. All glory is of God. The Divine Mind is everything, and there is nothing else. Love is all there is, and there is nothing else. That's why the key is, I am as God created me, because if God is all, all power, and I am a creation of God, then that means that I have dominion over the images of time and space, dominion over the entire cosmos. That's what Jesus taught. Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And in terms of this movie, it wasn't too long ago, maybe 25, 30 minutes ago, remember when They got up, she got up out of bed, she was the first one out of bed, and she she said what? It's still there, (laughs) remember that? And he said what? And she said, the world, the world is still out there. That's what she said, the world is still out there. That's the human condition summarized in one sentence the world is still out there." And he's like, what? She's like, people. (laughs) What are they doing? You know, you see, as soon as you start with, there's a world out there, then you just fill in the blank with whatever. It doesn't matter what you fill it in with. The people are out there. They're doing something. How many teachers of God does it take to save the world? That's a question in the manual for teachers. How many teachers of God does it take to save the world? And you know why it's one is because there is only one. It's not a trick question. It's not a difficult question. (laughs) When you think of it in terms of multiplicity, it's like perplexing. But only the ego thinks of it in terms of multiplicity. When Jesus said, when I awoke, you were with me, he was like saying... Actually, are you getting it yet? There's just one of us. There's only one of us. And that's why when I awoke, you were with me. Because you are with me. In creation, we have the same source. We share the same self. We are the same one. But you see how different that is from the human perceptions. So this relates to everything. Even when Kristen was talking about that upcoming online retreat, so this is stepping into your magnitude. Now we're getting a little bit clearer about what that magnitude is. It's Spirit. And in, in the meanwhile, if the Spirit wants to speak through a body, isn't that great? It's great if the Spirit wants to speak through you. Why would you say no to that, if that's part of stepping into your magnitude? If the Spirit wants to work miracles, wow, isn't that fun to be a miracle worker, but you have to have a good clear distinction in your mind between what is created and what is made. Because you're just fooling yourself if you think you're going to be a miracle worker and you don't have that clear distinction about what is created and what is made. Because that's what's required to let miracles come through you, to light your mind up. You have to be willing to be without fear even for an instant. You, miracles cannot be performed in the spirit of doubt and fear. You know, you can't you can't be a doubtful miracle worker. You can't be a hesitant miracle worker. You can't it doesn't mean you have to be completely absolved of fear before you're a miracle worker, because that would be kind of, you know, pointless, like trying to perfect yourself so you could let light come through you. But it actually means that you have to be, come closer and closer into that distinction between what is created and made, so that you can, you're can. you in a position to say, use me Lord, you know, I trust you, I put all my faith in you, and it will be you who perform the miracle. I will be the witness, I will be your witness. But I'm not personally a miracle worker, I'm just throwing myself in a position to be used by the One. So, this is good because you can see that there's still the attempts at some adaptations, but, you know, now the communications, they're coming closer and closer, and then now it's almost like this is a shock phase, with all the hatred coming up everywhere. You can see it in their eyes, it's almost like a disillusionment, like, uh uh-oh. You know, uh-oh, what's, where is this going? And from the ego's perspective, you know, it's it's getting a bit concerned here. You're just passing time. Well, let's pause it here. This is the worst fear of anybody, is having a partner lose it. Why? Because of the belief that attack is real. Why is that such an important belief? Because Abuse, victimization, harm, whether it's physical or psychological, all is resting on what? On one belief. Attack! If you believe attack is real, you'll believe in abuse, you'll believe in victimization, you'll believe there's a world outside of you that can harm you. You get the whole kit and caboodle from the belief that attack is real. If attack ever was real, if attack could be real at all, even for an instant, you will make in your mind a fantasy world in which there seems to be abuse. And there's a great fear. That's why the scene right before this, when they were out and everything, you notice the masks were really out now? When the rage comes out, there's a lot of masks. There was everybody wearing masks. Because why? I don't want any of that rage stuff, beating and oh, I'll wear my mask. You notice how quick everybody goes to the medical model? Don't want to get infected now. Don't want to get beaten. It's one thing to lose my smell and my taste, but the, the, I don't want to be beaten and burned. Uh, you know. You see how everything is going back to that causation and form. Better prevent that infection. Even though from the very beginning of this. The epidemiologists were saying, we don't know, we we don't understand the patterns, we're not seeing anything that would demonstrate that it's an infection, but they're all flying back to that, because because they're more afraid of something that's more afraid of even dying, more afraid of, of being beaten and harmed and being attacked, What could be more frightening than being attacked, than having your loved one turn on you, almost like a stranger, like the Billy Joel song, The Stranger. You might have heard that song from back in the 80s where the stranger appears, and it's like horrifying. Once I used to believe I was such a great romancer, Then I came home to a woman that I could not recognize, shock, the loved one. When I pressed her for a reason, she refused to even answer. It was then I felt the stranger kick me right between the eyes. Oh, there's nothing more horrifying. What was that movie years ago? I'm gonna have to show it to all of you, but it was with Michelle Pfeiffer and uh, Harrison Ford, what lies beneath? Oh, is that a good one? <laughs> That'll really unearth this belief and attack, because Harrison Ford was Michelle Pfeiffer's handsome husband, and then, good old Harrison Ford, perfectly cast, he's the the hero. In Star Wars and all these things, in that movie, he turns. Nothing more shocking than a partner, than a spouse. Evil energy, evil darkness, you know. But what's under this evil energy and evil darkness? Whether you call it sin or evil energy or whatever, what is it? But it's the belief in attack. That's at the root of it. That's why Jesus says in lesson number 23 I can escape from the world I see by giving up attack thoughts. There is no other way to transcend this world than by giving up attack thoughts. Isn't that any it's no different than give up grievances. Give up the belief in victimization. Give up the belief in abuse. Oh, but David what about Hitler? Yeah, what about Hitler? What about Mussolini? What about Osama bin Laden? What about Saddam Hussein? Yeah, let's get down to the core. Are attack thoughts real or not? And if attack thoughts are real, then who created them? Love? You think attack thoughts come from love? This is why it's so important to realize the mind does not create beyond itself, it does not go out. Within itself is everything you within it and it within you. Spirit creates spirit, creates spirit. It's just one lesson. You can't even be a miracle worker unless you start to open up your mind to the idea that spirit comes from spirit, comes from spirit. Just like in the begats in the Bible, humans come from begat. You Remember the begats? Did any of you read the Old Testament? So-and-so, begat so-and-so. I was like, I was in Bible school, I'm like, what is all this begat stuff? Well, it's procreation, David. It's you know, it's men and women getting together and you know having children and begat, 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 begat. Sounds almost like Wizard of Oz, because, 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 because begat, 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 begat. Procreation, I might remind you, is not a, not coming from God or source. God didn't set up the procreation cycles. It's the ego trying to substitute, make its own version of creation that involves form and matter, but God didn't have anything to do with it. So this moment is a good one because you can look, again, Ken, just the perfect freeze frame yeah. because you've just got the He just cut it just perfectly so we could just see the eyeball because there it is. It's the Harrison Ford character and there's Michelle Pfeiffer and the first look when she's like holy moly what have i what am i married to what have i got this is this is the fear this is why people are afraid in relationships they keep their guard up not too close is because of this moment and they already know all they can do is they say all they can do is wait the un, unaffected can just wait but but the, the hearing loss and the rage are associated. And this is when you really need to be in your purpose. She needs some purpose there because that look in her eye is, is, is a, got a little bit of fear there. And you're not going to be able to transcend time and space if, if you're the miracle worker, if you have fear in your eye, if you think you can be harmed. If you believe there's something outside of you that can harm you, then you're not going to be that helpful in the plan of salvation. (laughs) You know, it's more the plan of hiding, running, and hiding and and cowering, because that's what fear does. Fear just cowers. It shakes. It's shaking in its boots. But but in this overall context, this is why it's so much in the in even in the scale of the personal scale. Or if it's in the the whole human scale of the whole world, it doesn't matter. There's no order of difficulty in miracles. You've got to be able to play it out right there with whatever the images are looking like. And and you have to be able to stand steady. I was talking to a few weeks ago a woman called me who was struggling because she's a resident going to try to be a doctor and everything was going wrong and and she was wondering, what is God doing and why are things failing and why, why am I not succeeding and what's it all about, you know, and so I had a good call with her for about 45 minutes or an hour, but I did tell her there was a point in graduate school where I had one of these moments where Spirit guided me to leave this prestigious program and then the the head of the department overheard me telling my advisor and came Raging, I got to see a full-blown rage episode. You don't have what it takes, you failure. You... It was like a, a drill sergeant, even though it was in an academic setting. You, I always knew you didn't have what it took, and blah, blah, blah. and I, but I was just, I was calm on the inside because I was making my sick myself sick, trying not to say the words. I'm transferring out of the program. It was a simple. Listen and follow instruction, say the words. I'm transferring out of the program, and I was like, What oh, my parents think? You know, I can't do that. And it's like, but finally, I was at a point of surrender. I'm transferring out of the program. It didn't matter. Then I could see red faces, veins sticking out of necks. I was surrendered. I was going for God. I didn't even know it that fully at the time. I didn't even have A Course in Miracles at that point. But it was, I'm not going to make myself sick and die. I will listen. I will say what I'm supposed to say. And that was one of the early things of be spoken through. Speak up. Say it. It's it's joyful to the extent that you can go inward and you can can really go into that experience of the impossibility of attack. In my defenselessness, my safety lies. You know what Jesus taught 2,000 years ago? Blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. The meek, and and meekness means you have to go completely in there and see the impossibility of attack. There is there is no other escape. That's what it means to release attack thoughts. Is really to see the impossibility. But until you do that, the whole world will reflect that belief in attack. And Jesus even says in the course, the role of the accuser will appear in many forms, and it will seem to be accusing you, meaning. You, the the person, have no fear. It will go at last. Oh, that was a same. I popped a course over one time. I'm like, my eyeballs are sticking out. It's was like, have no fear. We'll go at last. You know. Oh, thank you, thank you. There, there is another way. And and yet in these scenes we're watching here from the whole with the whole world, the rage and everything. Now it's down to the interpersonal level, and they've taken off the masks. Literally, it's a symbol of love and trust. And they're there together. And, you know, you can either go stay in the, the, the place where all the unaffected are, or you can come over with me. She goes, tough one. She wants to go home with her loved one. She wants to be with her loved one. But the rage, as long as you believe it, you will perceive it. If you spot it, you got it. And, and the best thing to know is you don't have to keep it. You may you may spot it, you may seem to have it, but you don't have to keep it. But But that's what this is all about. Lest you think this is about all of the things we do in community, you know, collaborating on projects, projects, projects. Believe me, this movie is showing it's not about the projects. It can't be. That's... Those are great symbols and backdrops to get deeper into purpose and function and say, Holy Spirit, use me and everything. But in the end, it's about relationships and it's about true empathy. It's about being in your right mind so that you can be calm in the face of any appearances in time and space. That's what the right mind's about. It wouldn't matter what those appearances are. You will be as calm and still as... As the creator, and if, if you come into that alignment, so we'll watch to see how this goes. Uh, well, watch your emotions. That's all I can say. Is just take it, take it into your own awareness. Just watch your emotions through it all. Okay, let's freeze it there. He's curious. He's curious. the saving grace. Through all that, he's, you can still see it in his eyes. He's, he's curious. And when you're curious, you're open to be shown. You don't already think you know. You don't already think you have it figured out. He's come out of his house. The television said, if you're deaf, stay at home. <laughs> But something inside him is telling him that that little apartment is not his home. And so he's on the move, and he's got those curious eyes. Because why? Because something inside knows that there has to be more, there has to be more, and he's on the move for it, so that's good, I like that curiosity. So let's pause it here, now it's zooming in and there's this part from the Course, those beautiful words from the Course, if you can just forgive one brother completely, it's all over, just one one. But that would mean to see no past in him or her. Because if you saw no past in your brother, then you would see no past in yourself. So this is probably the most profound part of the movie. There's this huge urge to connect, this huge urge to love this huge swelling of like, oh my gosh, this is, you can see it in his eyes, this is everything. This is everything. Because in that state, you can see it in his face, it's not really about going through the motions. This, this is the branching of the road, where you can't just do what you did before, you you will go nowhere. You will go nowhere if you keep making food. <laughs> there's something more than making food. There's something more than the restaurant. And for her, there's something more than epidemiology. There's something more than research. And you can see it in their eyes that they're like on the cusp of, what is it all really for? To see no past. Jesus says in the Course, the body's eyes will continue to report differences, but the healed mind has put them into all into one category. They are unreal. The body's eyes will continue to report differences, but the healed mind We'll put them all into one category. They are all unreal. There is no order of difficulty in miracles. No appearance is more true than another. Remember that thing we just came through December and what was everybody going around saying? Make this year, 2019, different by making it all the same. That's what he's calling us to do, to see that there's the body's eyes can continue to report differences, but that doesn't mean you have to interpret that differences are meaningful. You still have the power of interpretation. You still have the power to see miraculously. It, the ego couldn't snuff that out. That's that spark of light, that spark of love, that spark of Christ, the Holy Spirit, whatever you want to call it, that's still there. and and. The body's eyes will continue to report differences, but the goal is to see them all as equally unreal to divest from putting any meaning in matter. Don't put any of your mind into matter, pull it all back in and in, into the love that it is. You have everything, you are everything you've always been everything, and that's the message and Then here is kind of interesting because. You know, the, he can't hear, he can't smell, he can't, he can't taste, and and you can see them going around with the vibrations. He was putting his hands on the speakers; just the vibrations are are heightened now. But he's the whole point is to be in love, and and that does not require what the senses. It doesn't require the senses. There was, somebody told me about this book years ago, they said, did you read this book? It was something called, I don't know, Johnny Get Your Gun, I don't know if anybody read it or whatever, but this guy is injured in some kind of a major accident and he's in a hospital bed during the whole book and he's trying to figure out what happened and he realizes he can't see and he can't smell and he can't taste and he can't touch. He can't feel, and he can't hear. And then the end of the movie, or the end of the book, is, I still exist. Without the five senses, I still exist. Before Abraham was, I am. Before the past was, before the images, I am. Oh my gosh, I, I am as God created me. I, I am, I don't need the five senses. There's no need or lack implied with them. So here we go. Final scene of the movie. Look at those eyes. Look at that curiosity. He's ready to see one person without the past. But you like it at the end. And if there had been anyone left to see them, There'd been anyone else to see them. Yeah. But there's, you know, it's that thing of not needing external confirmation because there is no external. <laughs> That's the beauty. That's the joy of it. There's, you don't, it's like the Matrix when he, he goes to see the um, Oracle. No one, no one can tell you you're the one. You just have to know it. Oh, that's a pretty profound message from the oracle. No one can tell you you're the one. Just have to know it. Wow, movies like this though—they're helpful. They, they kind of throw a throw it back into a deeper perspective, like, oh yeah, oh yeah. That's what my Overseer Meeting is about. It makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. That's, I that's right, you just dive right in there. Who needs senses? Who needs five senses for an Overseer Meeting?